I am now recording on on uh, uh, OBS and is my mute. Button. Yep, yep, your mute button worked. It's working! Yay! I'm I'm happy for Yay! that. Uh, whenever you're ready, Jan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Breaking Geek Radio, the podcast, the flagship and international podcast of LRM Online and the Johnniverse Podcast Network. I say that really high pitch because uh, at this point, point there's no uh, there's no international folks here, uh, but there's also no one else here other than producer Kyle on the ones and twos helping Hello. me out and getting the show out here for all of you to enjoy. Uh, Nick, today is MIA. Danny will be showing up a little bit later today to discuss our review for this episode, which is the new horror flick or comedy flick or comedy thriller flick, Megan, um, which is about a killer doll, another amazing killer AI doll movie. It has, it's definitely its own genre and it's definitely been making a buzz over the past week since its release. And Blumhouse continues to do amazing things for the film industry, which is kind of partially what I thought as I was watching the whole movie. Sounds really extreme. Probably is really extreme. But I'm happy to talk about that later on in the episode. Um, so for starters, we got a few few short stories to talk about before we dive right into the main meat of this podcast, which will be a discussion between me and Danny. Um, and I'm interested to see how it goes because it sounds like him and I have relatively different opinions about what the show what the movie has to offer and what audiences can expect from it um i'm wondering how that will go but let's jump right into the main news topic or the first main news topic and that has to do with batman 2 or the batman 2 as we know last year the batman came out from director matt reeves starring robert pattinson and uh pattinson woo Battinson, as it were. I remember there was this brief period in time when Jonesy tried to he tried to get ahead of the curve and come up with a uh, you know, like Batfleck, Battinson, that right, type of thing. Right. He tried he said Bob Bat. And I'm like, that's what? not gonna catch on. No. That's not gonna catch Battinson on. Battinson is perfect. Perfectly fine. Battinson is perfect. Mm-hmm. And anyways, great movie. It's still a movie I want to revisit, ironically enough. I think it might be the best made Batman movie to date. It's so well paced. The filmmaking manages to be dark without being that annoying Sabrina, chilling adventures of Sabrina or Game of Thrones dark where you just can't see what's happening, which I hate. Um, so you could see everything that happened to the Batman, but it's still very, very dark. Um, but let's not talk about Batman. We're not here to talk about reviewing Batman. We're here to anticipate the amazing things to come in the Batman 2, which in case you were worried is actually happening. Even though James Gunn came in and is cleaning house, it has been uh, pretty much confirmed that they are continuing with the Batman 2. And Reeves said in a recent interview, look, I'm excited uh, to hear what they're going to do, referring to the whole DC universe. The bat first thing, as James Gunn has said, and as Peter Safran has said, is kind of its own thing they're letting us do. So if you were worried about that potentially interfering with the Batman franchise. Don't. It's going to be great. It's going to be, it's going to continue to be a thing. And personally, I think it's going to be great because Matt Reeves continues to be probably in my opinion, one of the most interesting high budget filmmakers currently working. 
yes, you obviously have a lot of amazing filmmakers in the works. I mean, the Russo brothers did amazing work on Avengers Endgame and Infinity War and the Captain America movies. Um, but when it comes to somebody with like an actual fingerprint on a big budget property, especially in the Marvel side of things, it gets increasingly hard to do. But then when you look at the DC side of things, um, there is a bit more fingerprint there, but they're becoming a little bit more samey. I'd say Zack Snyder certainly has the biggest fingerprint of all of the DC movies that are over $150 million in budget. So anyways, I'm just happy to see filmmakers continue to take creative risks in big budget films. Um, but with regards to what we can expect, well, first of all, it's been confirmed that he is currently writing with a partner for the next Batman film. Now the question is, where do they go from here? What what happens next? Who are they going to bring in to the Batman universe? Um, speaking with Collider, uh, he had mentioned before that there's actually a whole little fabric of things we're wanting to do, the way we're doing with the Penguin and how that comes back into how that will lead into a sequel and what the sequel is going to be. So two things. A, it does sound like this Penguin series is going to segue into whatever the Batman 2 is, which is relatively unique. Like they aren't kidding when it comes to the Batverse. This is going to be not just its own little side thing, but a side thing that actually has an impact. So it really is its own little pocket universe, which I think is pretty cool. And one other thing with regards to this movie, though, is it sounds like he's going to narrow the focus. He's going to continue to narrow the focus of the story so that it doesn't get out of hand, so to speak. Here's what he had to say. To me, the thing that I really feel is that I also believe that Rob Pattinson is so special in the role. My goal has always been to do these point of view stories that allow the character to always be the emotional center of the story. Because a lot of time what happens is after you do the first one, then suddenly other rogues gallery characters come in and they kind of take over. And then Batman takes a backseat to sort of a character to, uh, to wait, backseat sort of character wise or emotionally. I love the Dark Knight, but I think that might be uh, that might fall into this category a bit. You can argue that. I'm trying to think of what the emotional arc could have been for Bruce Wayne in that movie. And I don't know if there is one. It very much was a story that was more interested into what the Joker brought to the table. And I guess the idealistic clash, but it seemed definitely more interested in the Joker's perspective itself, himself, however you say that. And in this one, it sounds he's almost taken a Marvel approach, which I think is a great idea. Make sure that everything that happens in the story is all in service of the emotional center. And that emotional center going forward will continue to be the Batman. I think it's what set his movie apart from all the others. It really was focused most emotionally on kind of the emo Batman, for lack of a better term. He definitely was one of the most realistic portrayals of a shut-in billionaire who lost his family. And I'm interested to see his character continue to grow. He learned over the course of that movie that he does not to be need to be vengeance. He needs to be hope. And I don't know if we had an, an arc as powerful as that in any other Batman movie to date. 
And so the fact that he's continuing to keep that focus there, I think personally is a good sign. And it makes me very, very happy going forward. I'm just going to um, got a question. What, uh, where, are you, where, where are you reading all that from? There are several quotes. One is from Collider. One is from Variety. Did you, did you collect them all yourself? I did. Because uh, <laughs> I had the Collider. I had the LRM article and uh, opened up the Collider. I wasn't aware you were going to be reading from other things, so I didn't have the proper quotes as Jammer, Jammer was reading. So I just wanted – so everyone else, where, where you were getting different things from that yeah, might be so watching. Yeah, so apologies. One of them was right. from Collider. One of them was from Variety. And one of them was from Yahoo, which – Let's see here. Let's see what Yahoo. Were they actually? Was it actually Yahoo? It was Nerdist. You know how not Yahoo. They they tend to brand themselves a Yahoo, but it's actually from like another yeah. outlet that's just a partner. Um. So those were the three quotes. Um. I mean, since you're on here, just quick, do you have any thoughts about what I've just said about where Batman should go, and do you like what he has to say about um, the focus? So yeah, I, I agree. The one of the issues is that uh in general because the way he was created why and how he was created batman doesn't have much more emotion other than my parents were killed and i'm going to do the right thing so being posed with the the stuff that he was uh 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 set against in in the dark knight for example how far are you willing to go will you let one person die to save another uh, can you keep the darkness in, in check? That only goes so far, which is why I think a, a lot of people look to the to the villains for more in engaging story. You think of even the atrocity that it may may be. You think about Freeze in uh, Batman. What was that Batman and Robin? Yeah, Bat or mm-hmm. Batman Forever. No, ba- no Batman and Robin. Robin. Batman and Robin. Yeah, you look at Freeze. You look at at Joker. You look at uh, uh, even Riddler. Sort of just barely in this one but they did it so masterfully where it's like nah dude's just bat bat shit crazy um <laughs> pun intended um <laughs> i do think that uh introducing some more villains uh especially in the in the background people that that bat might be putting away uh is a is a smart idea uh and i think building up to some sort of arkham asylum escape situation where in a third movie he's dealing with multiple villains might eventually be the way to go but then it's it but so long as you still balance it as a batman story um yeah and i think the first one did a really good job between the balance between the penguin and um riddler and and, uh, falcon and, and riddler and there were characters they were there it felt like a lived in world but it was still very much a Batman centric story. It was about his character. Arc. Yeah, Manny um, had, and he did a good job of balancing that. Manny had mentioned that this, uh, that this, uh, movie is just a little too grounded for a character like freeze or a Clayface. Mm. I mean, how, how do you, how do you feel? What villains do you think work for, for this Batman? And do you think any don't work for, for this world? Cause I mean, it does look like a, pretty grounded you're you're not going to see cryo beams <laughs> type world you know i i don't know what what do you think you know i uh i might disagree because i feel like the the first movie was relatively isolated and even though it was grounded it was still very stylized so i could see there being kind of a natural expansion outward 
as the stories continue that we'll see, well, this particular world, this Gotham, it may have, you know, have its grounded elements, but its weirdness extends beyond just visuals because it doesn't feel like our world. Do you agree with that? I don't think it feels like our world at all. I mean, I think it feels like a grounded version. Kind of, of feels like our world. <laughs> really? It doesn't feel like as, that as at far all as me. like just how how awful people are, me, how I, gritty things are, how desperate people can get. I mean, yeah, it does. Kind on of an feel emotional like level, world. but like if you look at that world, I don't see. Oh the yeah, apathy? that's our world. Yeah, it feels like our world. You got a really bright outlook on 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 the world, right? No, now. no, 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 no. I'm not talking about emotionally. I'm talking about visually. Visually, oh, when you look oh, at okay. it, okay. Like this doesn't yeah, look like like for me sure. the Dark Knight trilogy. That's our world. Yeah, I can. Uh, objectively, see that. that is our world. This, is, this one is a hyper stylized. What I've always gritty reality. What I saw. But that in, doesn't mean there isn't weird shit. What I saw in this when I was in theaters was uh, Reeves has one foot in uh, um, crap Nolan's universe, Nolan's world, and one foot in uh, Burton's world, where he yep. wanted to borrow certain feels of. Burton's Gotham, uh, some of the closeness and, and crowdedness, some of the some of the color, not all of it. Uh, um, he made it feel very, very. He made it feel as if if Burton's Batman was more realistic, kind of sort of, if if that makes sense. And I dug it. I really did. I'm not a Batman guy. You you know this. Uh, shit. Yeah. I don't. I I hadn't even seen all of the the Dark Knight trilogy when I started working at LRM. Uh, I didn't know that. I yeah. forgot about that. I think Did we had, had conversations about it before. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, it was a it was a principal thing. It was something I was holding. Oh over yeah, friends. That yeah. Was you stupid. Remember, it was stupid as, as hell. Yeah. Doesn't matter. I yeah. stuck. I stuck with it. Um, <laughs> Doesn't matter. I won. I won. Uh, not really, because I ended up watching them. Uh, <laughs> But no, it it did good, man. I'm I'm hoping that it it continues to do to do well. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of um, see Manny's point, but I I can see, I can see them. You're you're not going to end up with a freeze ray the way, you know, you see in comics or or even Batman and Robin. But the idea of cryo weapons, I'm not completely right. unheard of. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for them to see, for us to see, like a really weird hyper realistic version of what a freeze person could be or a gritty grounded version on what Mr. Freeze could be and how that story can play out. I I could see Mr. Freeze happening personally pretty easily. Um I don't know if it will. I'm trying to think if there are any villains that I I don't know if there are any villains I could think of off the top of my head that won't work. Ironically enough, one maybe Raza Ghoul or um no cuz that's I disagree with myself. Yeah, I just, just disagree with myself. You don't have to deal with the whole immortality aspect too much. It's less about the assassin and more about everything in this version of Batman just feels so isolated. And I feel like bringing in Ra's al Ghul may expands it outward more than I feel like this story wants to cover or this version wants to cover. But who knows? Who A knows? I, I don't in- think there's anything people including manny think uh go in the route of hush and the stories uh in and around that mm-hmm. um i can i can see that they're having they're having a lot of the organized crime aspects of it a lot of the like human people with just really really good connections and and good yeah, idea money. good ideas that are bad of course you know awful meanness uh 
I think we're going to see like the villains, you know, the villains are, are, I think you're going to see less, uh, fantastical, very, very similar to Nolan's. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Either way, I'm excited. And I just am really happy that he's keeping it emotionally focused, but the downside of that, and I guess here's when I have to mention the downside is that it will inevitably lead to either fewer villains or they're going to dive less into those villains in each of these movies because I always just think back to the uh, the Marvel phases one through three and how they were very focused on the main characters like everything in the story was in service of a main character and not just the main character but their emotional arc in that single film to the point where we just got like little bits and pieces of well-known villains but not much to sink our teeth into and then we even got sidekick characters who i thought we would have been really oh i'm ready for them to be you know the leads now and still people are still wondering man can sam fisher sam fisher sam wilson i keep doing that sam wilson um be the next captain america will that make you know 800 million dollars at the box office are people going to be wanting to see that um because the other movies were so hyper focused on cap's emotional arc Everyone else was just kind of like a supporting character. And that's one of the downsides when you have a film versus a TV show is it doesn't allow for building out a cast of supporting characters as effectively. And considering the rogues gallery in Batman, that could certainly be a negative thing. But I have faith in Matt Reeves. He's an amazing uh, storyteller and filmmaker, and he's also using the medium of television in the penguin series so who knows he might be able to circumvent that by building out his batverse through various television shows in addition to the batman series what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving made with natural ingredients hero bread supports gut health promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net-carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. But speaking of buh, let's talk about Black Panther 3. Do you like that transition there? Black Panther uh, 2 came in, came out, left admittedly not as much as a, of a social impact as the first one. It, uh, it had its hurdles to overcome with the death of Chadwick Boseman. And on the whole, I think most would agree it was fairly successful in being respectful to his legacy and kind of pushing things on to the next level. I personally had my problems with the movie with regards to its lack of focus and it really not settling on a main character until the later part of the story, which... I think led to an overall weaker emotional arc for Shuri. But regardless of what you think about Black Panther, that movie was still very financially successful. Definitely not as financially successful as the first one, but and I feel like you need to repeat this constantly. Just because something did not do as good as the original does not mean it's not a success. Given the budget of this movie, chances are it was profitable after five to six hundred million dollars. It's made well over that. It's made over a hundred plus, maybe a couple hundred million dollars for Disney in profit. 
So that's just printing money. That That's all golden. So needless to say, Black Panther 3 was on the horizon. And Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri in Black Panther 2, recently said, hey, they're working on Black Panther 3, but it might take a while to get here. Um, she didn't go into details as to why it might take a while. Maybe Ryan Coogler's busy. Maybe, uh, who knows? But I, I doubt she even knows because she's an actor and actors don't get told anything regarding it. But um, I guess the exciting part is if you were a fan of Shuri and what her emotional arc was, and now that she's claimed the mantle of the Black Panther, what is next for her? What can we expect from her? Um, it sounds like whatever the next story is will likely tackle that. Um, I just think it's kind of interesting now that I think about it where the first movie and the second movie were relatively different, but both of them were essentially stories about members of royalty accepting the responsibility of black of the Black Panther. That was the first one, and in another way, that was the second one. Um, but yeah, I just think it's kind of cool. But yeah, I, I don't know if I have a whole lot to add to this other than I really hope that now that we have settled in with Shuri as the main character of the franchise, that we can really focus in on what her what whatever her arc is in the next movie and help make it feel more cohesive. Um, and I know we're also going to be getting the, I believe the Disney Plus series, if I'm not mistaken, for um, what was it called? What is the Disney Plus series called? They don't have like an official name for. Is it is it about the Dora Milaje or something? Right. There, so that's as far as I'm aware. There is no real official information on anything. It's all like rumor, conjecture. Now there's right. one. There's a rumor that the um that the Wakanda based show will feed into the Midnight Angels instead. So kind of like a a spy thriller focused with a lot of characters from Wakanda, not just um, Okoye or, or anything like that. Not just the, the guard. It's, it's going to be more, more expansive than that, including the characters cool. that you saw in the, in the suits, the from, from Wakanda forever. Mm. Yeah. In the, in the super Sentai suits. Yes. I those. love those. What did you did you watch Black Panther? You did, right? Yes. Yes. What did you think of the Super Sentai suits? Uh, you didn't like it. I loved it. I thought it was so again, cool. Again, because uh, for me, I, I was worried that, especially when you look at Ironheart, that it would feel too much like Iron Man. But this is like, no, it's and it, it's literally Super Sentai Japanese inspired suits. I think it's kind of cool. Uh, kind of, sort of. I feel the. And part of this could be because of the CGI uh, budget, which there isn't much one because Disney Plus is expensive and it's not profitable. Streaming is not sustainable. Haha, <laughs> told you so. Um, but but uh, I think if they had had better texture and lighting for them, it may have been a bit better. My issue, of course, is that this is a connected universe. There's a certain aesthetic for this connected universe. And while I'm all for people being able to play with with their their color palettes and and some style and stuff, I don't like it if if something super connected all of a sudden feels very disconnected. And those and again, I'm saying part of it I think is not just the aesthetic was was different, but the effects themselves weren't up to up to par. There may be a way to fix it to where it feels more part of the universe. I, it, Ironheart being different, you you really do expect that um, simply 
because of of her being a younger kid. She's not a 40, 50 year old, you know, billionaire uh, when Stark started. Um, so I, I get it. But yeah, it was it was a little rough for different reasons other than just I mean, the I feel like kind of kiddie Black- looking of it. I think the Black Panther series also does have a history of just bad CG, unfortunately. Yeah, the final fight in the first first film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was was rough. I I think for me, that's just just Marvel. You're going to have some shoddy CGI. Infinity War had the the infamous Hulkbuster stuff with uh, uh, Ruffalo's head. Yeah, Ruffalo's head popping out of there. And it was just awful. There's just so many aspects of that. It's like when you're when you're producing on a level that they are, and you kind of have an assembly line of production, there are things that fall through the cracks. You also have filmmakers wanting to make changes last minute that result in the pipeline of you know uh, visual effects artists working on things uh, last minute and extensively, and it's just it's kind of expected. Not I, I having as go into, much of a budget to hire more or or well, not as even... much of a budget, just. I don't think it has to do with budget. I think it has to do with timeline. Well, no, that's we'll what I'm saying. Well. If you if you had if, and I'm joke I'm 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 slightly joking, slightly being tongue in cheek because this this movie wouldn't have been as affected as I think future projects are of that multi billion dollar hole in Disney's uh uh um money from the direct to customer uh services uh. I, I, it's just like when people were talking about some of the things that, that Warner brothers had going on, it's like, you know, curse, uh, uh, discovery for this It's like, guys, these problems are why discovery bought <laughs> Warner brother, you know, like these problems are why Warner brother brothers was, was trying to, uh, be spun off and, and purchase was because it, it had a giant hole, uh, uh, where money should be. And you can't necessarily <laughs> blame the the people that that bought it for for that for that stuff. But yeah, it's it's nuanced, like like all things. And for me, as far as the CG thing, when it regards to to Black Panther, um, it's just or Marvel in general. I just expect it, you know, because when you have a the assembly line or the, as many productions going on at once, what is it like ten at a time? I feel like. You, yeah. you have deadlines you have to hit, otherwise the whole thing cascades downwards. So it's almost you, like you make last minute creative decisions that results in having the last minute CG changes, which results in the CG not being completed as well. You don't get the fine tune, the fine tuning you would get of something to it's say like almost the like, Batman, which isn't reliant on anything and can finish until it's done. Almost. It's almost like uh uh trying to fill Disney plus up to get subscribers to stick around watered down the MCU in a way. And I yeah. know for some people, CGI might not bug them. It doesn't bother me, but, but for I can others, especially I when it's, it. it's when it's so noticeable that it really like, like the Hulk thing and, uh, or a uh, Hulk buster armor in, in infinity war. Yeah. That, and you're talking about such a great freaking movie too, filled with so many awesome moments. and, you guys are so screwed now should have been a really awesome moment to to help, you know, with the, with the Thor entrance to to Wakanda, but it takes you out of it. And the only thing you can see is is Mark Ruffalo standing on a stool in front of a green screen, you know? It it's it's rough sometimes. Yeah. Nah, I can see that. Luckily, I am not uh cursed with such 
trivialities. Obviously, Yet. I notice it, but I Yet. overlook it. Yet what? Well, I, I'm just saying, like, uh, how people are starting to get used to higher uh, frame rates and how mm. not necessarily in theaters, but definitely on your home video. If you go from a high frame rate uh, di digital video to going and watching a movie, more and more people are starting to notice that it kind of looks stuttery until your eyes settle back in into the lower frame rate. And uh, that's what I meant by yet is one day it might just become too uh, obvious or or kind, kind of the opposite. It just becomes the norm to to the point where it looks like a 80s, early 90s CGI again, <laughs> sticking, sticking very uh, vividly out from from the regular film. But we all just cope with it because, well, that's what they're delivering anyways. Anyways, let's move on talking about CGI in the MCU to a trailer that features a lot of CGI in a Marvel movie, specifically Ant-Man, the Wasp, Quantum Mania, the latest in the Paul Rudd led. I was going to say trilogy, but currently I guess it's a trilogy, but who knows how far this will go on. This latest adventure sees Scott Lang played by Paul Rudd making a deal with the devil or making a deal with the King, the one of the King iterations here. You missed an opportunity somehow, to say making a deal with the conqueror. Since he's Kang the Conqueror. Yeah, yeah, that did. Oh, well. Making a deal with the Conqueror. And uh, we don't know what that deal is other than, you know, it has to do with him reclaiming lost time with his daughter. Um, as we know, he blipped. Or no, he didn't blip. He was five years. He spent five years in the quantum realm and lost, you know, that time with his daughter who grew up without him. And I guess he wants to reclaim it in some way. And I'm sure the message at the end of it will be like, hey, she's still there. She's right there. You may have missed five years, but she's still there and she still loves you, but whatever. Um, anyways, this leads them into the quantum realm into a whole nother stuff of things we don't really understand at this point, or we can only speculate. Um, but it definitely seems to be easily the most ambitious Ant-Man films up until this point. These movies have essentially been palate cleansers at the tail end of one of the phases. It was a palate cleanser at the end of phase two. And it was a palate cleanser right after Avengers Infinity War that helped realign things a little bit before diving back in. I know, I guess, Captain Marvel came after that, but... Yeah, we'll it should have been now. a Black Widow movie. It sh it, Black Widow should have come out after... Between after Civil Infinity War, after Civil War, War and Endgame. I mean, that could no, have been okay as well, but between Infinity War and Endgame at the, at the very latest. Agreed. Yeah, the Black Panther, I feel Black Panther, the Black Widow movie is such a victim of its placement, which is silly to think of because it doesn't matter technically, but it kind of does. Still. Yeah, but I would, you know, how awesome and how much more mysterious and intriguing would it have been for Endgame to go exactly as it did with, with Captain Marvel showing up when she does, doing what she did. How freaking cool would it have been instead if that had been her intro? And all you got to do, there's only one one quick change you got you got to add to this is Cap can't say uh, Danvers. We could use an uh, assist, and you have Rocket or uh, Nebula, one of the you know uh, cosmic characters, mention mention her. You know that's that uh, Kree warrior. That's Captain Marvel. That's Carol Dan whatever however you want to do it to to let the audience know what's going on 
But there's there's your connection. You introduce her in into Endgame. She helps in the big final final fight. Then you do your flashback after Endgame for Captain Marvel one and, and carry on. There was a, there were so many ways to skin skin that cat. Please don't skin cats. It's awful. But there was it's there awful. was so many more ways to do that other than putting Black Widow as late as you did and and getting Captain Marvel out there to try to to try to battle DC. I mean, come on now. What did Black, What did Captain Marvel have to do with Black Widow? No, we're talking about uh, uh, Wonder Woman. Sorry, uh, oh, Marvel wanting to get a big feet, uh, and I don't know why Black Widow wouldn't be considered a big female lead, but to get she's there, not super powered. I guess, I guess. But like I, like I said, you know, I'm. I try to think of. I was trying trying to think of story more than uh, 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 social brownie points or whatever. I don't. I don't know how to phrase it. You and I both agree on the on point- the general purpose on the premise. My point is, is that like, I was just curious. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're talking about Ant-Man right now. Um, this is going to be potentially the first that we actually really understand where Marvel is heading. We got glimpses of it, but they all kind of seem to contradict each other during phase four between Loki, between, uh, you know, the, the Spider-Verse movie and, and Doctor Strange. We expected those to sort of build off of each other, but they all just kind of seem to contradict each other in annoying ways. So with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania bringing in Kang from Loki and dealing with potential multiversal consequences here, it seems like this could be it. Um, And that's great. That's exciting. And I'm happy that Peyton Reed, who I know mentioned that he didn't want to be essentially do what he's been doing for the past two movies. He wanted an Avengers level story. And it sounds like this is kind of what we're getting. But this trailer doesn't get me excited. This trailer, while I could still see the movie being good and I'll still watch it, and who knows, maybe I'll still really love it, it was kind of just boring. I kind of zoned out in the middle of it. And I I just, I didn't feel a whole lot. It was a lot of cosmic just happening. And without me having any context, it was hard for me really to connect to it. And I can only imagine, you know, us as fans were like, oh, that's Kang. Oh, that's MODOK. Wow, that's so cool. What is the majority of the, the world out there? Is this too weird for them? Is this too cosmic? You know, is this too just off the wall to be something they're interested in? What do you think, Kyle? Uh, no, I think people are kind of into the quirkiness of, of Ant-Man. Sure. It's going quantum, uh, this time around, uh, I said cosmic, I meant quantum. Yeah. (laughs) It's going quantum more this time around than, than it did in the previous movie. It's still going to play off of a lot of, of, uh, physical comedy. I, I bet. And a lot of physical weirdness. Um, I, I also didn't find it to be as, intriguing or as I don't want to use the word pleasant but as pleasing how about that I didn't find it to be as pleasing as I had hoped but I also think it's because of it's a it's a Kang trailer one and then two um I'm still mad at how disconnected everything has been and I have a little bit of knowledge that these this trailer and the previous one have confirmed quite a few uh, leaks that had been out there. 
And because of that, it's like, yeah, this might this might be another one of those cases where it's a relatively well executed movie. Sure, I could probably, if I could disconnect all of the things plugging into it, maybe enjoy it as a as a solo thing. But because of what's come before and how long it's going to take to get to what comes after, I'm I'm nervous. I I really am. And this trailer kind so of so you've heard leaks that indicate it could that. just be more of the same from Phase Four in terms of how things are connected, and that it won't be as connected as we want it to be. Yeah, uh, that's that's mm. kind of kind of the feels on it. Like they're they're gonna connect, they're gonna connect things, but it's not. It's not what the Infinity Stones did. You know what I'm saying? It's not what Nick Fury did. It's not it's not what what even Iron Man did popping up in a Spider-Man movie and a Captain America movie. You know, it's it's very you you could almost say this was a afterthought type mentality type type connections. It's like, "Oh, we can connect these later on down down the road type thing." So and maybe it was planned from the get go. It just feels like a really crappy plan. But I, I, I've got concerns. I hope it. I hope it's good. I need it. I need it to be good. And I, I swear on my life, if, if, uh, if Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three isn't good, if it's not a knockout home run, and I'm not saying it has to be better than what came before, but it has to be as good. I, I, I will probably be done with Marvel. <laughs> because <laughs> oh, I can't take I can't take any 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 more abuse like this man it it sucks abuse. so abuse so bad I abuse want, you're so dramatic I want like, to it, love yeah, this it's stuff not, man I Marvel, want to phase four phase four has not been great I'll admit that it's been mediocre but abuse abuse Kyle yeah come on 100 almost almost no. on the level of abuse that I suffered at the hands of Deborah Chow and and Obi-Wan Kenobi All right. Well, that that's all I have to say about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Let's go ahead and head into our review of Megan, where we will be adding in one fellow geekster here. Really? I don't see him available. No, he's not available now, but I figure we could take a break until, oh. until he pops in. Okay, break then. <laughs> break time. And we're back with our review of Megan, or... One and a half reviews of Megan, give or take. Uh, that's unfortunately Danny. Doesn't look like he'll be able to make it here, but he did bring me some of his thoughts to share. So first things first, let's do what we normally do and look at Rotten Tomatoes and thing see where things currently sit. As of right now, Megan is 95% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with critics. And interestingly enough, 79% fresh with audiences. So both have an over, overall a positive perspective on what this movie is, but there's a bit of a disconnect of how positive it is, at least if you're looking at it as sort of the the analog, the black and white aspect of it. Um, the critics' consensus is the film is unapologetically silly and all the more entertaining for it. Megan is the rare horror comedy that delivers chuckles as effortlessly as chills. So Megan is a marvel of artificial intelligence, a lifelike doll programmed to be a greatest companion and a parent's greatest ally. Designed by a brilliant toy company roboticist, Gemma, Megan can listen and watch and learn as she becomes friend and teacher, playmate and protector for the child she is bonded to. 
when Gemma suddenly becomes the caretaker of her orphaned eight-year-old niece, Katie. Oh, it's spelled that way. C-A-D-Y. I did not know that. Gemma's unsure and unprepared to be a parent. Under intense pressure at work, Gemma decides to pair her Megan prototype with uh, with Katie in an attempt to resolve both problems, a decision that will have unimaginable consequences. Uh, So Danny, as he didn't make it here, for him, he gave the film a C+. Now, that sounds negative, but not fully. He says it was nothing special, but certainly fresh enough to make it worthy of a watch. Writers played fast and loose with some of the tech stuff. Uh, the A-team building of Megan in just a few hours, followed by, we'll have this in shops in two weeks, made me raise an eyebrow. Oh, and the stereotypical CEO was, without a doubt, the worst part of the movie. I laughed a lot, which I wasn't expecting to, so I appreciate some of the dark humor. So he gave it a C plus. I like this movie significantly more than he did. Uh, I gave this movie, or I'm giving this movie a an A minus. I actually liked it quite a bit. This to me, it delivered on exactly what it promised. It was a campy comedy horror film revolving around an AI doll killing people. That's what it promised in the trailer. Um, and frankly, it doesn't really deliver much beyond that, but it wasn't promising that for me, um, at least on an external level. Like it goes through all of the stereotypical beats you expect. You know, you have sort of the setup, you have the android introduced against, you know, and, and maybe it's not something we don't want to do because it's too dangerous, but we do it anyway. And then shit starts to go off the wire, off the rails and then blah, it's it's there. Like it, you, you can predict the story based on the premise alone, but the the execution, um, I think was so great and so solid that I just can't help but applaud the film. Like I was entertained from very beginning to end, and have very few problems with it. Yes, it does have some logic problems there with regards to, I guess, the timelines. But it's like a campy kind of silly movie to the point where, eh, whatever, I can just kind of brush that off. It doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. This isn't supposed to be realistic um, on that level. So on the whole, I would give it an A minus. If you're going in there expecting what you get from that trailer, it delivers 100%. Um, But I'll go ahead and hop into spoilers right now and just discuss a little bit more about why I like the movie so much. much. So if you haven't seen the film Megan, spoiler alert, I don't know if I'll dig too deep into them, but I want to be able to speak without having to worry about it. Um, What I think this story really succeeds at more than anything else, and this kind of goes back, I think I've said this before on the podcast, and it has to do with, it has to do with emotional cores of a story. Um, Stories, good stories generally have two components. You have the story itself and you have the emotional core. And when we think of a movie, a lot of times we think about the story, you know, Iron Man, uh, this is a bad example because Iron Man is such a weird movie because it's structured so strangely. What's a better one? Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, you know, it's about him dealing with powers and trying to become on the Avengers, da 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 like that whole, and then this happens and story plot happens, but really it's about a boy learning to appreciate the moment in life that he is in and to slow down and not feel the need to constantly prove himself. It's all about what is the internal arc of this story. 
And for me, this one had a really great aspect to it with regards to trauma and the the main girl, Katie, or not the main girl, the the young girl, Katie, and the importance of taking time to grieve, the importance of not just trying to drown your emotions in someone who in distraction, not to, just not to distract yourself. And that's essentially what Megan does is she is a great distraction from her grief. But ultimately, as is said later on in the movie, when the girl kind of goes crazy when Megan isn't around and her aunt's like, or she says to her aunt, I don't feel like this when Megan's not around. And the aunt says, you're supposed to feel this way. Your parents just died. And I think that is just, it's really awesome. It's really great in how it handles grief and how they, they really, that's the focus of it. So because of that, you are probably probably witnessing in this very podcast, the single male or the single man, the single person who cried in Megan. That's right. I shed a tear in this movie. Oh my God. Of that emotional core stuff. It was because it just handled it like, do you have I'm any not man say cards it left? Because well. if you if you have no. any man cards left, I need no. I need them now. No, do you even know me? <laughs> no, I never had them to begin with. Um, I feel like it's one of there's a couple of things like a I don't know maybe I'm getting I'm approaching middle age and I'm just being like you know what fuck it I'm just gonna sorry YouTube I'm just gonna let it happen I'm just gonna let the tears flow when it feels like it like when I have a little little tingle in the back of my in the back of my throat that makes me want to like cry I'm just gonna lean into it and let it happen. So there's a mix of that. And then I think there's also um, almost like an actor. I've been writing a lot of uh, stories. And when I do that, I always try to think of the emotional core and kind of I think I autocomplete a lot in my head of what these specific emotional core arcs mean and kind of relating them to my own personal experiences in a way that amplifies them. Um, And I think that's probably part of what happens here. So I think it's really cool how it does that. And in, in the same way that I feel like you can look at this and be like, this is just a remake of every other killer robot AI doll story out there. Yes, it is. But it's kind of like Avatar to where it's just a solid execution of a tried and true story. It's just very entertaining, very watchable, very fun. And I'm just happy that Bloomhouse, who I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, they very much, I feel like are doing a great service to the industry by giving having other movies that aren't just big budget explosion fests be in theaters and making a splash. So I just think that's really good for the industry and an industry that restricts theaters to either really high or really low, you know, that this is able to still be around. And obviously I think this would fall under relatively low. I don't know what the budget of this thing is off the top of my head. Actually, let me look that up. Megan, but I would be surprised if it was over 15 million. My guess would be less than 10, 12, 12 million, 12 million. So, you know, it's, I wouldn't call it low budget, but it's lower budget for sure. Um, definitely not mid budget. And I'm just happy that there is a place in theaters for this type of story. Um, so yeah, it, this story just, it just executes well on its promise. And I think it, while it doesn't expand outside the parameters of the plot of what you'd expect, I think it does go a little bit deeper in terms of emotion, in terms of what the main characters are going through and their arcs. As a result, I give this an A minus. I'm really excited to uh, to watch it again when it comes out of theaters. Fuck, I'll buy it. This like might be up there with me with like Happy Death Day as far as just like fun 
horror-esque movies to revisit. Um, but I yeah, love the, so that's... I love those Happy Death Day movies. Was it you that recommended it to me? I think it was. I think so. I, yeah. I think and it was. Loved it. Th- thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. I mean, I wouldn't say this is as good as that because Happy Death Day is different in that I just think it has a unique concept or it, it kind of mixes and mashes genres in a way that's fun and kind of campy and pokes fun at itself. This one, I think, is a little bit more down the road what you'd expect i guess it's not you're not there for the twists and turns you're there to kind of get what you're promised from that trailer and then i just think it goes a little bit deeper than that in an effective way but still solid filmmaking from blumhouse productions they continue to do amazing work anyways uh that is it for this episode of breaking geek radio the podcast kyle thank you so much for joining me and being my my bouncing board this episode. I know that's not what you signed on for, but I appreciate you stepping up to the plate and doing that when you could. No problem. It's, it's, uh, um, it, it was, it was almost like an old episode of LR mornings. I know just about, just about, uh, if you haven't checked out the rest of genre verse podcast network, there are lots of shows, including breaking geek radio, the podcast daily cup of genre, uh, anime versal reviews, anime, or AVR Squared Anime Versal Reactions Reviews Reactions uh, Marvel Multiverse Mayhem and Genre Shots right is that it yeah you forgot the Cantina close the Cantina close. the Cantina close. is the other one here uh, that you can check out the Genreverse Podcast Network on YouTube as well as wherever you get your podcasts Kyle where can people find you uh, watching anime here on on the genreverse podcast network and uh at that comment alone on twitter and check out our discord link in the description box below yeah and you can find me on twitter and tiktok at aj cerna writer you can also check out all of my books under the name aj cerna on amazon and audible check out my official website at magiabooks.com m-a-g-i-a books.com thank you so much for listening to this episode of breaking geek radio the podcast I have been Jammer, and I have been excited to return back to you at a later date. That didn't work, but whatever. Hasta lasagna, don't get any Anya. Mission accomplished. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.